Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Grab a warm blanket, snuggle up by the fireplace, because it's nap time. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built here at my home office, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And remember, hey, if you're uh, passing through the area as we head into spring uh, and the schedules work out, holler at me. Maybe we can get together for a pipe somewhere. And, you know, the weather's starting to warm up here, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, on this week's show in uh, Pipe Parts, we have uh, Jeff Grasick back for Ask the Pipe Maker. And then my guest is Mike Zika, and Mike's been on the show a couple times before, but this time we're talking about the, uh, the vertical blend tasting of different vintages. Uh, so between uh, what I talk about with Jeff and what we talk about with Mike, this is, a, this is really a technical show, so a lot of... A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, or uh, real, you know, detailed stuff on uh, pipes and pipe tobacco. Uh, but anyway, if you remember, I was involved in a uh, in a taste testing review of Orlick Golden Sliced of three different vintages. So we talk about that with Mike. Uh, music, mailbag, and rant—all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Uh, remember, uh, JDRF Auctions, we are going to uh, start firing that up again. So if you've got something that you'd like to donate, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and we'll arrange for that to uh, get to me and then off to Steve and all that stuff. So uh, just reach out to me. Again, everything everything that we sell, 100% of it goes to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation to help uh, uh, help treat and find a cure for type 1 diabetes. All right, got a lot in this show, so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for Ask the Pipe Maker is the pipe maker, Jeff Grasick. Jeff, welcome back. Hey, good to be here, Brian. All right, so this one is, uh, this question I've had from uh, from numerous people, and I don't want to call them out uh, because I didn't write their names down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good reason. This is less pipe making and more about surviving in the pipe business. So, are you ready? Yeah, we'll see. I'm a new pipe maker. What are the best ways to get exposure to potential customers? What are some wrong ways? What are your suggestions? How did you become... J. Allen Pipes and one of the uh, one of the uh, preeminent names in pipe making. And how can I emulate your lifestyle? My lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You spend a lot of time in your garage alone, and then you go inside and help the kids. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So no. Yeah, that's a good question. But a pipe maker starting out, and mm-hmm. and and we'll use times that are you know normal. Right. So yeah, during non-pandemic times, this yeah. is how one would do it. So I. It's a little it's a little challenging to give some direction here uh, because everyone's situation is different. Uh, to be a an artisan pipe maker these days, someone like me, it takes there's a lot of a lot of skills that need to be developed mm-hmm. and you need to learn how to create and put yourself in situations that create opportunities and be lucky enough in those situations to um, to have those opportunities present themselves and you know I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit by describing how I started out so when I first became interested in pipe making, I was still in graduate school, and I, the Pipe Makers Forum, which some of your pipe making or, or uh, interested uh, you know, uh, pipe, pipe maker curious um, uh, listeners <laughs> might be uh, aware of, it was just forming at the time. But there weren't a lot of resources out there. Pretty much the only the only resource that was available was the Pimo pipe making book, which is it's fine for what it is. If you mm-hmm. want to try to make a pipe with a hand drill, um, <laughs> which is challenging, and a pocket knife to um, whittle it, and but, a pocket knife, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I'd say the first key is plugging yourself into a uh, like a pipe maker knowledge community like pipe makers forum i i'm I'm assuming there are probably some some groups on facebook or on other websites where uh experienced pipe makers and beginning pipe makers can interact and have questions answered and problem solved things like that that's really really helpful so the first thing is like like i said it's just developing your skills as you develop your skills and you interact in that community you're going to be noticed so if if you're trying to do it simply by yourself in isolation, you're never going to be exposed to anybody who might take notice. Because in those communities, there are some people who who toy around with making pipes, but they're also buyers of pipes. And so yeah. those people might say, hey, such and such a person, you made – that's a nice, uh, a nice billiard you made. I'd like to buy it from you. And you sell it to them for 150 bucks. Well, that's your first customer, my first – Customer paid $125 for my first sold pipe. Wow. And they overpaid at that, too. Yeah. 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 Well, when I asked 150 he, he, he said, uh, no, that would be overpaying. I'll oh. give you 125 <laughs> <laughs> And he was right. He was right. Um, but, you know, you need that first customer, of course. And pipe smokers are, are pretty communal. And that person who bought that pipe probably is involved in other pipe smoking communities and might speak about that pipe or take it to a meeting or take it to a pipe show and show it around. And, and suddenly you might get an email or a phone call from someone who saw that person. So that's the word of mouth way. Yeah. The, the other couple of ways is, you know, going to your local pipe clubs and visiting pipe shops. I did a lot of that when I was starting out and it just, it's just a way to kind of gather information, get to know people, to build your network. And uh, and then from there, you go to pipe shows. And in pipe shows, maybe some of those people from your local pipe shop or your local pipe club are there, and they can introduce you to friends who they know in the pipe community. 
going to pipe shows is a really good way to get some hands-on feedback from collectors and pipe makers too. Um, one of the things I would advise people not to do at their first pipe show as a as a young pipe maker is maybe maybe avoid selling your pipes there. Just walk around with them and ask people okay. opinions. But you don't want to go and sit down at a table and put five hundred dollars on your nicest pipe and uh, behind your back, every collector walking past is going, can you believe the audacity of this person or, who I've never heard of before yeah, or, charging is, $500 for a pipe because yeah. people do talk? Who is that? Right, right. Yeah. And in some cases, in, in, in exceptional cases, the, you might be extraordinarily talented and they'll see a pipe and go, wow, that this person I've never heard of before had some really nice pipes on their table and they were underpriced. That's what you want. You don't want to be the person who's putting your pipe on your table going, mm -hmm. having everybody saying, I cannot believe the ego on this person thinking that is worth this much money. <laughs> yeah. It's not a good way. It's not a good way to build a, uh, right. it's not the buzz that you want to build around your young brand. Uh, let me, let me throw in a couple of other little pipe show uh, pipe show comments because I'm sure. not an expert on making my own pipes, but I've only done, you know, maybe 150 pipe shows. Um, the first comment is the, the first time you exhibit at a pipe show, people are just, people don't know you. So right. e even though you may be somebody that they know, they still don't know you as a pipe maker. Correct. So don't expect a lot. Uh, second, stay at your I table. Sold, I think I sold two pipes in my first pipe show ever. Yeah. And, and I was I was over the moon, over <laughs> the moon. It just paid my expenses. <laughs> Look, honey, I got money for my mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> and you thought I was crazy. Paid <laughs> for one quarter of a hotel room, a the cheapest <laughs> flight I could get, and uh, a bunch of meals at McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but so don't expect a lot. The first show, the first, the, the first time you're in at each pipe show, you're really just there to introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, second, stay at your table and introduce yes. yourself to people as they walk by say, hi, I'm, I, I'm Bob, the pipe maker, or I'm Bob. And I made these pipes, you know, say hi to people, introduce yourself. Don't be that shy, quiet one sitting in the corner. You, mm -hmm. you, you want to be approachable. So th those are my, right. those are my two thoughts. Um, what do you think about the social media? Uh, I, I think that social media can be really effective um, for people. I can't, it's hard for me to speak to that so much because I don't do a whole lot of, of browsing on social media. But I do understand that there's, um, that a lot of young pipe makers have been able to get a lot of uh, attraction, uh, have attracted potential customers. Mm -hmm. um, using those platforms. Instagram is probably the the most helpful one from what I've seen. Um, I know there are some pipe makers, particularly in like the, you know, let's say two to $400 price range who are pretty successful um, using that platform. Um, when you get into the higher price ranges, it can be a little more challenging to be earning customers uh, using that platform. Uh, for a variety of reasons. But I think I, I want to return to something you mentioned before you asked that question, Brian. Yeah. Um, you know, you were talking about walking around and not, not being shy at pipe shows. As, as an, like an independent artisan, you are not only going to have to be good at what you do, but you're going to have to have the, ha, to, to learn to be an entrepreneur. 
And those are skills that uh, some people have naturally. And even those who have them naturally have to develop them. Um, you need to find mentors, both pipe making mentors, but also collecting mentors and ideally people who are dealers who can help you out. When I first went to the Chicago pipe show, actually the first pipe show I ever went to was in Columbus, Ohio and didn't display anything. Um, I ran into the people from smokingpipes.com and, uh, they, I, I, I was introduced to them and, um, they saw my pipes and they were intrigued. And, uh, for many years before I've sold to them, they gave me feedback. I, I sought feedback from them at shows and that helped me to develop. So you need to be like equal parts, like self promoter, marketer, uh, yeah. entrepreneur and talented artisan. If you want to pursue kind of like the track that I have pursued and not every pipe maker, um, wants to go that route. Many, many of my friends, especially the ones in Europe, hardly sell anything direct to consumers. They don't have their own private collectors. They sell exclusively through dealers and that makes it a little easier for them. The challenging thing for them, of course, is getting noticed by the dealers in, uh, at the beginning. And that at least historically has largely come from online communities and finding people who say, uh, Hey, uh, they, they see your pipes on, on whatever social media platform you're using or the relationship you've built by asking a pipe maker questions. And then they directly contact their friends in who are dealers and say, you ought to check out this person's work. They're becoming good. Yeah. And, and I'll also add in that, you know, you also have to learn how to be a little bit of a photographer. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. my my photography skills suck, but uh, yeah, you you want to make sure that if you're putting pipes on social media, that you represent them fairly well. Because a bad mm -hmm. photo does not represent a good pipe well. I I remember when I first started listing pipes on my website, I got a number of comments from my my early buyers. Uh, who said, wow, it's so much better in person than it was in the photographs. And initially I was like, oh, that's great. That's that's what, what I want my customers to experience. Like it's even better than I expected it to be, which, you know, that is what you want it to be. And then I realized, wait a minute, they were saying my photography was really bad. <laughs> and they were right. Well, there you go. Learn how to take digital pictures. Jeff, thank you very much. Uh, happy to do it. And we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is, uh, uh, Mike, this is your third time on the show, I believe. Does that sound right? right? Third, uh, third time, Brian. Yeah, so you, you, you're getting to be a regular fixture. Um, Mike Zika, who uh, 
I, you know, I, I, so I talked about this a little bit on the, on the podcast, but Mike, you had me involved in a, um, in a vertical tasting of three different eras of Orlick golden sliced. So, uh, l- l- let's go back to the beginning. Um, where did the idea come up with to do, to do the same blend, but in multiple years? Right. So, um, uh... So as you know, I usually write an or I write an article in in uh, each edition of the Pipe Collector, uh, and one of the articles was where we had an opportunity to, opportunity to uh, evaluate a very old blend of Orla Golden Sliced, uh, which was provided to us by Steve Fallon, and we had a medium old uh, tin of Orla Golden Sliced, which would have been from about 2005. And that was from uh, our good friend Vic Grissetta from his cellar. He added that to the test. Plus, we had a current version, which I gave a couple of years. It was like a 2018 uh, tin. And uh, we, the purpose of it was to see how does, you know, how does the Orlick Golden Slice differ across those three age ranges. And I had uh, six people involved in the test, uh, myself being one. And you being another, plus four of the four of our other friends and uh, testers, and we all we all used your review form, which had a few. You you kind of modified it or updated it a little bit just for this uh, f- for this test, I guess. Right. That's the best part about the form is that it's uh, customizable to your needs. So basically, what I wanted to do is show how each of us evaluated each of the three um, Orlick Golden Slice samples in an easy, easy to read form. So, so you could basically look down the new version and see how each of the six of us evaluated it, and then the, the 2005 version, and then the really old 10. Um, and it's very easy just to go across and look at the way the grid is to see how many, how many people said, oh, it's... Uh, you know, lightly sweet, or oh, it's uh, complex tasting, and the different notes that it has. So you could easily see just by the way uh, the initials and so forth who rated it, um, and how they rated how they rated it across the three to see how they differed. Is is this the first time you've ever done a sampling like this? Uh, no, I've done before. I usually, whenever I write an article, I usually involve a couple of other individuals because my taste is my taste, and I like to involve other people's uh, evaluations as well. I think that provides a better uh, representation of a review. But is, is this the first time you've ever done the same blend, just three different decades of it? or? Yeah, 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 yeah specifically with Orla Golden Slice, too, because I wanted to do something readily available to the current market instead of one of those harder-to-find tobaccos, you know, like an esoteric or whatever. Um so I thought it was interesting to see. So if people wanted to say, well, what does an early golden slice taste like that's 15 years old? And one that's really old, it was at least 30 years old. How do they, how does that, how do they differ, uh, you know, specifically? So that's really what the article was about. So. And, and I'm kind of guessing that you could also now use this, yeah, you know, this multiple blend form, maybe if you wanted to, uh, let's say you're just looking for a 
a, a medium-bodied Virginia Perique that's on the market now that might be your favorite. So you could do three different ones side by side and see them all in the same form. Oh yeah, that's one of the one of the ways I like to do it is to say, well, what do I like better uh, between these two blends that are very similar? And you could just go side by side uh, and rate, you rate them using the form, and then you can pick out the subtle nuance between the two or three, uh, you know, different notes uh, that they have, and you're like, wow, okay, it makes it it just makes it easier to navigate your way through uh, tasting process and evaluating a tobacco blend. Uh, and I, another way to think about it too is if you have a benchmark. So say your your uh, favorite blend happens to be Orla Golden Slice. Say you could always evaluate anything that you're testing to your benchmark. Um, so is it stronger than your benchmark in terms of uh, you know these different notes? And that's a useful way to think about it. Yeah, and one of the other things that I like about your form is that it doesn't really, uh, there's no really preferential things. It's just your personal, uh, your personal point of view of what it was. It, it, it doesn't really say, you know, is this a four star blend or a five star blend or two stars or it, it just really gives you a chance to. Uh, itemize all the things that you you know strength weakness aroma um, and then you use a lot of suggestive flavor notes but there's nowhere in there that it says uh, this is a 18 star blend it's a perfect 10 it's wonderful correct uh, one of the probably the one of the least valuable things would be what I think about it on, the, on a one to one to four, one to five star system or whatever, because uh, that's my taste. What's more important is what is the blend, what is what is the characteristics of the blend, you know, whether I particularly like it or not. You know, I'm not afraid to say if I like it or not in the article as I write, but I'm more interested in describing the uh, what the blend is. Uh, you know, how does it compare to other similar blends? Uh, what are the... Where does it stand out, maybe? Where, what's its distinctive feature compared to something else? And uh, be very rigorous about it, about the process. Um, the, the other, one of the points I wanted to make out is that the list, um, the list of tasting notes, whatever, that I came up with, that's not just myself that came up with those. I did a lot of work on that over, over a period of time, you know, over a year, actually, uh, Interviewing uh, industry experts, tobacco industry experts, mm -hmm. uh, interviewing um, Chicago Pipe Club members, uh, you know, my pipe smoking colleagues at the pipe shows, interviewing people with it, pre-testing it, uh, all different ways, and also listening to a lot of reviews. Um, I enjoy listening to smoking pipes uh when they do their mystery tobacco reviews yeah. and that's where basically shane and and uh, a few of the other guys andy white and uh truett smith and a few other guys may be uh, tasting a blend that they're not they're not sure what it is and they're just trying to understand what the tasting notes are you know what does it look like so i just listen to what the words are that are coming out uh and it's really more tobacco-specific tasting notes. Uh, it's very particular about that as opposed to 
kind of reaching for food flavor notes and things like that, much more into strictly tobacco tasting notes. Uh, another thing I did a lot of secondary research, so looking through books, one of the best books written, I think, was Carl Ewa's book, written in 73 or 4, I believe. And that's a really good book on tobacco uh, processing and tasting. Um, and one of one of your radio shows was really good, Greg Peace. Uh, he was interviewed. Uh, let's see, that would have been uh, back in May. Yeah, the May second of 2013 show. Yeah. And you asked him about uh, tobacco tasting, and uh, since he's the you know one of the great blunders. Um, I, I also listen carefully to that and use uh, quite a bit of his uh, commentary. So things like that. So I'm a researcher by trade, so that's how I developed the form. And you've got one heck of a memory. Um, but we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk specifically about this Orlick Golden Slice vertical tasting or whatever you want to call it. So more with Mike Zika in just a moment. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Mike Zika. And Mike, one of the things that I really enjoyed, and and this is where the where your uh, your tasting form can come in handy for people like me. Um, you know, I've always told people there are three kinds of tobaccos. There's tobaccos I like, tobaccos I don't like, and ones that I will actually pay for. I'm not one of those super tasters that you know picks up a you know an essence of nutmeg and then it changes over to a, a palette of leather and blueberry or whatever you know I, I i'm just not one of those people um but while i used your form on this and paid particular attention to some of the flavors that you listed it started to trigger me where i was actually picking up some of those you know some of those senses um and so i'm wondering if that has that has that been the same for you right the 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 goal of the form actually is to provide a roadmap to the perfect 10 smoking experience how do you increase the chances of that perfect 10 smoking experience so that's really what i developed a form to do so it makes you more mindful of certain things, uh, both blend-specific, but also uh, smoking-specific uh, characteristics. 
such as the moisture content, the packing technique, the cadence you're using, the type of chamber, um, and how do you prepare the tobacco uh, prior to packing. Like, what do, you, what do you do with it? Just grab it out of the jar, stuff it in, or are you doing some kind of pre-drying method, whatever. So I go into all that. The form actually deals with all that uh, as well. All right, so how did the Orlick Golden Slice do? What were what was some of the comments that you got from from the from the esteemed panel of which I was one, so it's not too esteemed. Uh, what were some of the results? Well, the results were interesting in that just about everybody was surprised that those each of those three blends were actually Orlick Golden Sliced. So they they differed quite quite a bit uh, from from the th- from the three samples. So I find that interesting, like from my own cellaring behavior. And I, one of the byproducts of the form is, is is it also helps you in your cellaring strategy, which I find very useful and interesting. But if you really like Orla Golden Sliced off the shelf with maybe a year or two of age on it you like that extra sharpness or tang that it provides you may not like it in 10 or 15 years because it will be it will be different and then when it goes to 30 years or 30 years plus you may it's going to be different again so you may not like it it isn't like the orla golden slice stays the same in those over the aging process it changes significantly so maybe i can ask you uh you know back what did you how did you compare the three yourself yeah and i and i'm just gonna i'm you know i want to i'm going from memory um and i and that's kind of so kind of the way i went into doing this was the first bowl of each I, I picked out a pipe that I thought would be, uh, you know, would be ideal and perfect for it. Made sure that I was, you know, made sure that I wasn't hungry and that I was well hydrated and had some and had some good good amount of water with me. Um, in in particular, I was careful because of how delicate some of the flavors are in Orlick Golden Slice that I hadn't had any coffee recently. Because I, I wanted to make sure that my palate was was fresh. Um, the result of it was was I liked the fifteen year old blend more than I liked the new, and more than I liked the really old. Um, I just found that it had. Uh, if I if if my memory serves me correctly, uh, I found that it had a really good balance and some natural sweetness, and didn't have any real um, uh, didn't have much of that Orlick orange flavor. That's kind of a preconceived notion of mine. Um, but I was also very surprised that I didn't like the older one at all. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't like the oldest one possible. Uh, so that 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 kind of surprised me the most out of the whole thing. Um, I think from a pipe from a satisfaction of I've smoked a bowl flavor experience, 
the newer, the newest one left me more satisfied than the super aged one. So does that make sense? It did. Yeah. And, you know, I can look at my, you know, my, if I remember back to what I was saying is that the sweetness will, will increase as the, as the age increases, but it also picks up this real fermenting note in the real old tin. It's really dark as well. And, uh, you know, that comes through the, that comes through in the smoke, like a, like more complexity, like a spicy complexity. Um, but that's not necessarily like what you're going to pick up when you smoke a newer tin of oil at Golden Sliced. So I think it's an interesting way to think about cellaring, uh, the actual age of the tin and will, will you like it at its real, at its older, in its older form. Yeah. And I, you know, I, for years have believed that tobacco ages on a bell curve where it gets better, better, better than somewhere in its life. It hits a peak. And then after that, it starts to come back down. Um, and I think with this Orlick, I think it came back down. Um, were there any other observations or comments from the other members of the panel that surprised you or you found, uh, really interesting? Uh, I think most of the, most of the guys, you know, they all thought, yeah, it changes quite a bit. And I was surprised that, uh, several like the newer version more than the more age version, um, for the, for the reasons that they like that, that extra sharpness, that citrusy mm-hmm. note. Yeah. So, you know, I just think it's interesting that not, maybe not everything, um, not, not everything has to be old to be good. Yeah. Probably screwed up Steve Fallon's sales of really old Orlick Golden Sliced. <laughs> no, but so, but several of the guys also did like the really old one as well. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, it's the difference in your taste. And uh, the one thing I did, I do on my taste form as well, <clears throat> I, I should explain what the forms are <clears throat> or what the uh, sections are, but there's a section, you go through the pre-smoke characteristics of it and then the smoking characteristics. And then I have a question right after this is, what other words or phrases would you use to describe the blend? So I do that for all my different testing and whatnot. And I'm looking to see what other notes get added what other words get added because I don't claim to have all tobacco tasting terms in my list. In fact, it's designed not to do that. It's designed to capture a lot of them, but you're free to add in. So if you're tasting elderberry or blueberry or whatever, you're free to include it on question two. And in all my testing and all my articles and whatnot, I find very, very few words added to Q2. So that means that the list is very comprehensive and uh and exhaustive which i think is interesting plus it's not that long of a list um it's not really geared toward like a tasting wheel like you would see with other things it's much specific very specific to tobacco tasting did anybody so interesting about the article with orlick golden slice they had very little uh extra uh terms that weren't included in the form did anybody try uh, did anybody use a meerschaum or a corn cob or any other thing just besides a briar pipe with it? I don't recall that anybody did. Uh, you know, they were mostly using to, uh, pipes that they, 
all were good for that particular blend. Yeah. And of course, of course the the testers were all, are all very experienced smokers, and I would say people with a pretty good palate and a lot of experience with different tobacco blends and pipes and whatnot. Steve Fallon being one of them. <laughs> yeah, I was one of the. I was the young kid, so that was kind of cool. Um, and the and the result for me was that I actually bought some Orlick Golden Slice. I bought some more just to put in the in the cellar and age it for a couple of years because I found that I really liked it. Um, the the other thing that I am pretty sure that I noticed in doing this, and I, I'd almost guarantee it happened, was we noticed the. Um, uh, we we noticed that the blend had to be changed, or that to me it just seemed like there was different components as in the different in the different versions of it, and that's a matter of time and cost cutting measures and stuff like that. So, uh, but it was interesting to taste some of those little different nuances that you knew there was this tobacco in that version, and then all of a sudden it's just not there anymore. Yeah, and that's that's and that's a, a thing. Of course, you know, year to year crops and whatnot. I don't need to repeat that. We all know that. But uh, it's quite interesting to uh, to be experience experience in a testing experiment like that and see just how different they they are, even with without the age. Yeah, and I and I guess so. This is something that your form can really work for for every listener. Is that maybe once a year you sit down with a blend that you regularly smoke and you go through the form you, you go through the tasting form kind of blindly and see what you pick up and see what you experience out of it and then it'd be interesting to compare it back to what you got out of it last year or the year before that right yeah a good example of that brian is um, my article that'll be published in the next pipe collector is where i look at copes escudo oh. and elizabethan and those are both tobaccos that I regularly smoke for, you know, quite a long time. Good, solid benchmark blends for me. But I never really thought too much about them, like, why do I like them? So I used the form, and I wrote an article uh, on that and tried to understand what makes those so popular among so many smokers to try to unravel the uh, unravel the the reason why those are so popular and have such wide appeal and uh, so that's what that <clears throat> what my next article will be about that'll be published in the april issue of the pipe collector and, and why some of us wish we could go back to those days of the little white painted lid cans of a scudo and just stock up on them yeah it's quite it, it's amazing though how um you know certain blends if i look at smoking pipes the top 10 you know top uh, tin tobaccos, you know, look at that list. They updated on a daily basis. You can always see a Scudo and Elizabethan are always in the, they're always up there in the top 25 or at least close to it. And, uh, those two blends, even in their current form are, you know, very popular and must be satisfying a lot of, uh, taste. So somewhere down the road, I guess we'll end up with you being able to publish a whole bunch of these uh, vertical brand tastings because 
I'm sitting here right now as we're recording, and I'm looking at the uh, <laughs> at the next one that you're that you sent me some samples of, which is Capstan, and I'm not even sure what years these. Oh, 2018 Capstan Blue, and uh, and really old Capstan Blue. <laughs> so how how yeah. old do you think the really old is? Uh, thirty or forty years. Yeah. Came from uh, came from our good friend, uh, good friend Mike McNeil, uh, who had a had a sample of that, and he wanted us to do some uh, research on it. So that was the impetus for that. And um, the the funny thing about these articles is that you start working on it, and then something always comes about as a result that you never thought about, which becomes the theme of the article. So I'll give you some examples. I already the capstan one I'm already working on, so I kind of know what what we're doing on that. But there's going to be an underlying theme with uh, with the capstan blue, um, which will be coming out. But like when when I did the McBaron Virginia number one, which is another very popular McBaron blend, when I did the article on that, that was a blend that I said, hey, if you're having a hard time with your cadence. You want to slow down. <laughs> if you can use for McBaron Virginia number one kind of like a training blend even, and if you can get up the get these certain notes from it, now you know your cadence is at the right level, or, or you know you slowed it up quite a bit. And when you smoke McBaron Virginia number one really slow, it has this really good woody kind of side stream note. And by side stream, I need it. I mean when you're puffing, if you just hold the pipe below your nose for a and just pick up the smoke off the bowl. It's got a little woodiness to it. Then you know you're smoking the McBaron Virginia number one slow. When we did the when I did Esoterica St. Ives, I started it out and I said, Well, why is Esoterica St. Ives? Why did why is that rated so low among the Esoterica line? It's got a tobacco review rating review of only like two point two and the other ones are all really high compared to that. And uh, that was what I uh, what I found there was that it's just a hard blend to unravel and unpack. So that's where I came up with the complete jar emptying method. So if you think about a blend that's a real fine ribbon, not really a shag, but it's, you know, it's close to a shag, but it's that real thin ribbon that Jermaine likes to use. And then when you get a blend like Esoterica St. Ives, which has some Latakia, some Black Cavendish, and uh, some other things in there, you get that big kind of a nest of uh, ribbon, like a yep. big ball of ribbon, especially if you buy the 8-ounce bag, which is how St. Ives comes. So in order for you to smoke that blend properly, you need to take it all out, spread it out, mix it all up together, and kind of unravel all of it. And I find that even if you do that and then put it back in the jar, it keeps clumping up. So before every time you smoke it, you almost have to take it out and do that whole process. Um, so I... And there's other blends like that as well, but I'm just I, that was one of the themes that came from the Esoterica St. Ives article. Um, and then when, when I did Esoterica Dorchester, um, that was one of the first articles I had written, uh, co-authored with Craig Harrell, my friend. And we had a uh, the moisture content for Esoterica tobaccos tends to be pretty pretty high. 
So we went to Harbor Freight and got a little moisture meter for like $10. It's got two little prongs on it. You pop it into the tobacco, and it'll read, give you a reading. And it was like 18 19%. So we just wanted to see how does, it, how does the tobacco smoke at different readings of moisture. Very easy little device to use. So we just got a feel for what is 18 19%. What's, what does 15 feel like? What does 13 feel like? What does 11 feel like? And how do they smoke at the different moisture contents? And after a while, you don't need to use the meter because you know by hand feel. So a lot of the experienced pipe smokers out there will say, oh, we don't need to do that. We already know. <laughs> yeah. But it was just an interesting experience to see what the different moisture levels actually feel like. And then how do they smoke differently? And they do smoke differently at the different moisture contents. Now, going back to this capstan one that I'm sitting here looking at, is this the only one that you've done where you can verify that the factory, the, that the the manufacturing facility has changed? Uh, I think the Orlick might have been at a different manufacturing facility, too, actually. Okay. I could be wrong. So, because, I mean, that'll, that'll change a production and, and make things taste different, too. Yeah, yeah, the capstan one is going to be a fascinating one, um, and fascinating in terms of the underlying theme that's going to emerge from it. <laughs> is it? I'm looking at them right now and going, "Wow, one is really dark, and the other one is not." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they are really dark, uh, and I haven't smoked them yet because I'm waiting again for that time when I can sit down and focus on doing that and have a and have a clear clean palette before I do all this because that's a to me that's as important as you know making sure that you know before you run a marathon make sure you get a good night's sleep yeah uh Mike we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions I'll give them to you again just for fun are you ready sure absolutely what is your favorite yes Conowitz pipe well I have I have uh my favorite, I, I collect only one style because that eliminates all the other ones that I could buy, and I don't have that much money. So it's going to be a Canadian sandblast. Uh, so he, he has the certain kind of Canadian sandblast hybrid, uh, kind of a hybrid billiard, billiard Canadian oval shank, and that's with the dark red, red-black stain. That's what I particularly like. And then for a smaller pipe, my favorite pipe is uh, my Adam Davidson Lorraine. I have a couple of those, and those are great. Uh, that would that would be my favorite pipes. Uh, what is the least favorite tobacco you've ever smoked? Uh, an aromatic that it was it was a, one of the Solani aromatics that I bought. Uh, that got high ratings, and I wanted to try it, and it was just just too much aromatic for me. <laughs> but well, it's interesting. I don't want to beat up Solani too much because two of my favorites are uh, Solani Age Burley Flake and Solani Virginia Perique 633. <laughs> um, what is your favorite drink, and based off of the conversation this past weekend, don't say coffee. No, it'll be uh, it'll be green tea, like a sencha tea. I like that Rishi uh, Super Matcha Green, and uh, it's like sencha tea with some matcha powder put in, and I so I enjoy green tea. 
When it's time to relax, do you have, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, I would say books uh, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, like right now I'm reading. Uh, well, I read a book every year. I make it a point. One of the best books I've ever read by Viktor Frankl, the existential psychologist, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. So, if yeah. everybody, uh, if anybody's read that, they'll. Uh, if they haven't read it, it's worth reading, and if they have, they'll know what I'm talking about. My meaning in life is uh, play with your toys and enjoy your pipes. Um, and then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Yeah, definitely at the Chicago uh, 2018 show, buying uh, one of my pipes from Adam Davidson and uh, sitting with him in the tent. We were talking about pipes before I bought the pipe. We were talking about pipe design for three, four hours. And then I ended up buying a pipe, uh, a small billiard from him, and uh, sitting there smoking it with him and uh, with his Orla Golden sliced out of his little uh, tin that he has. <laughs> so that's definitely one of my favorite experiences. If you want to read any of Mike's writings, it's naspc.org. Go on there. You can sign up for the digital uh, for the digital membership. You can order back copies. You can get the printed ones like I do. So that way you can completely unplug while you do that. Um, Mike has been kind enough to provide me with the review form. So if you want one of those, just email me and I'll send you out a copy of it to play with. And you can, uh, maybe we'll, uh, we'll have the single blend and the triple blend one. So all, all, uh, all out of the goodness of Mike's heart. Mike, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. And, uh, thanks for, thanks for letting me play along with these, uh, with these tastings. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for all the listeners, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it'll it'll increase your chances for again that perfect tent smoke. That's really the goal of it—not to create a form, but it's to, it's to make your smoking experiences better and your cellaring strategy better. Thanks again, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. All right, again, uh, make sure you should be a member of the NASPC.org, and then you get to read all of Mike's writings, plus many, many others. Yeah, 60-some-odd pages of uh, newsletter all about pipes and tobaccos. Comes out uh, six times a year. Yeah. All right, for music, we go back to my friend Dan Locklear, and this is from his Ronaldo Reflections, and this one is uh, called, it's movement number two, it's called Grounded in Machines, and the reason I picked this one is because uh, Thomas Hart Benton, who is the artist of the painting that inspired Grounded in Machines, uh, he was a pipe smoker, so we get to listen to a pipe smoker composer's of. Uh, vision of a pipe smoking artist's painting.
And if you want to find more of Dan's work, you can just Google search him, Dan Locklear, L-O-C-K-L-A-I-R. You got mail. You got mail. You got mail. Mailbag comments and questions, you can direct them to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, or you can go on to PipesMagazine.com and post a comment right there on the radio show, just like Dino did. Uh, Regarding last week's show, Dino says, I own two Calabash Gourd pipes and smoke them both. Although they do need particular attention, they are great for a cool, dry, contemplative smoke. I usually indulge in the late afternoon when the climate in my backyard patio allows as I puff and listen to some music or an audiobook Sherlock Holmes adventure from my CD boombox. <laughs> uh, he said, I totally enjoyed your conversation with Mike, another interesting guest with an eclectic taste on li- uh, take on life. Uh, the music choice was powerful and kind of apropos. Thanks, Dino. You're welcome, Dino. And then uh, Casey Ghost says, uh, Brian gave an interesting discussion of gourds and Tyrolean pipes at the top of the show. I have smoked a gourd and they're good smokes, but decided they were too clumsy after a while. Uh, Do not care for the Tyrolean pipes at all. Uh, The conversation with Mike was enjoyable and he was a pleasant fellow. Uh, Yeah, so I guess the... uh, I guess the uh, Tyrolean or the hunting pipes, um, not real popular for smoking anymore. I don't know if it's just, yeah, I don't know anybody that smokes them. Uh, I do know a few people that still enjoy a gourd calabash. And Paul writes in, uh, one more pipe to own for the collection and maybe not smoke is the Kisaru, which is the uh, Japanese pipe. Uh, usually a little longer with a very small bowl, good for about three or four puffs of tobacco. Uh, sometimes might be confused with the same size shapes as like an opium pipe, but, uh, I have smoked one of those once and, uh, man, I'll tell you, got a little bit of a buzz, but, uh, you know, not, not quite my thing. So, uh, there you go. Uh, you could also add into that list of pipes to own and not smoke would maybe be a real Indian peace pipe made out of pipestone. So quite decorative, too. All right. In uh, just a moment, rant time. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. thumbs up and a bit of a thumbs down to another one of those uh, mini series or limited series that's available for streaming now and this one is the queen's gambit uh the queen's gambit is a uh, 10 hour long uh story of this young lady who is uh, uh orphaned and uh, lives in an orphanage and 
learns how to play chess and goes on to become a world uh, a world chess champion and it goes through her trials and tribulations of uh, drugs alcohol and all kinds of other stuff as she goes on to uh, you know get her life together and become a world chess champion now this is all taking place in the 1960s uh, 50s and 60s the uh, the production itself is absolutely beautiful I mean just absolutely well done perfect acting music everything is just top-notch and thus the reason why it's already won a Golden Globe or two uh, wonderful all around lots of smoking going on and here's the thumbs down uh, these are a bunch of young chess players mostly male in the 60s and not one of them not once nowhere no how not once did I see anybody smoking a pipe whether it be the young men or the older men nope none of them not one pipe seen at all and this includes all across the United States where supposedly she traveled uh, Paris Moscow not one person did I see was smoking a pipe and we know that these are chess players so they've got to be kind of geeky so they'd only be you know it would only be natural to see at least two or three pipe smokers, but where were they? Nowhere. Anyway, uh, do watch The Queen's Gambit if you get a chance. I mean, it's absolutely well done, and, uh, you know, uh, parental warning, there's some parts in there that are not suitable for children, so there you go. And it's not just the smoking parts, because <laughs> you can't show that unless you put a warning up. Anyway, all right, uh, there you go. Watch The Queen's Gambit. Uh, thank you very much to Jeff for joining me. Thank you to Mike for joining me. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to That is the best hour of sleep I get all week.